Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to The Catch with John Fisher on Blog Talk Radio, connecting life to faith. We're just trying to get it together, trying to help the fellow can make it better Do you really think we can? Yeah. Well, that's yours truly with my uh, 1973 song, Matthew's Blues. We love that play on for our show here because it, uh, uh, you know, 50 years ago, almost, um, here we are still seeking to make a better world. Um, but we have discovered, we have all discovered that it's the Lord working through us that makes the difference. And, uh, and so that makes life exciting. And we've had, um, so many wonderful guests on the show every Tuesday night and uh, tonight will be no exception. We're in a very interesting study right now. Uh, on the 12 steps, we are going through uh, the 12 steps of AA. Um, one, we're spending a week on each one. And uh, uh, we're, what we're seeking to do is to find out um, what they have to teach us that's relevant to all of us as believers. And uh, that's, that's what we've had uh, our guests on, too. We've had a number of guests so far to talk on this subject. But so They've all been people who are familiar with working in a recovery, a recovery model, and they are very familiar with the 12 steps and uh, are providing us some really wonderful perspective on things. And um, tonight will be no exception with a very interesting perspective on adultery recovery, which I have to admit is is the first I heard of it uh, when I (laughs) uh, read about our guest and um, his experience working in that field. And we're going to talk to him, find out about that. Uh, And um, his name is Dave Carter. He is uh, with Evangelical Free Church in Fullerton, California, and uh, involved in their, has been in their counseling ministries for for many, many years. He has a brand new book out. We'll talk about that later on in the show. But uh, please welcome to Blog Talk Radio, uh, Dave Carter. Welcome, Dave. Thanks, John. Looking forward to this. Yeah, I am too. I am too. Okay, so adultery recovery. I guess maybe there's there's probably a ton of re- different kinds of recovery that we haven't even heard of because I guess there are tons of addictions. So t- tell us a little bit about uh, just your background and, and, and tell us a little bit about adultery recovery. What what that's what that's all about. Well, all addictions are mood-altering experiences. That's how come they become addictions in the first place. So adultery certainly is a mood-altering experience. Infatuation is a <laughs> mood-altering experience. 
And uh, people can get involved in any kind of sexual betrayal issues from the mood alteration that occurs. But so can they also get involved in emotional, what we call emotional affairs or emotional attractions that are mood-altering and non-sexual. So uh, heterosexual, even homosexual relationships can be very um, addictive to people, and they develop serial practices from one to the other to the other. They like the chase, as we used to say. Mm. So I got into Mm. this field about 30 years ago uh, when... the second of my first three senior pastors I'd worked for after seminary ran off with the woman in the church. And in both cases where it did happen to me, it just devastated the place. And I decided I was going to go back to graduate school and get a psych degree and figure this out. So I spent the next, uh, actually about mm, six, seven years uh, doing that. And um, I've been involved in it ever since 1977. Wow. Um and uh it sounds like it's it's uh this is the subject of your newest book too yeah uh, anatomy it is. Yeah. of an affair yeah yeah uh, adultery recovery um uh, has many facets but one of those is adultery is still the biggest reason for divorce in america and uh no one ever talked about recovering from adultery 30 years ago, the only choice you had was either sweep it under the rug and stay married, move on, or you got divorced. So uh, the field itself is a a rather recent field. It's very difficult to find evidence-based treatment, although there are a number of investigators working on that concept now, and that's very good. But um, there is at least a five step process that you have to go through in order to recover from adultery, at least among those of us who are working in the field. Most of my colleagues in the field are not believers. Um, we're all kind of finding our way in this. But mm. more to your um, interest right now on your talk show here, um, I believe strongly in 12-step programs. I was involved on in a a cluster of authors who wrote a book called Steps to a New Beginning back in the early 90s that won a gold medallion award. And we hmm. ran 12-step groups here at EV Free for um, until 88, until um, 2005 when I stepped out of them. And I was in a 12-step group for 15 years for adult children of alcoholics. And, yeah, I love that stuff. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Tell us... Um what what um what value uh we're we're making a big assumption here so maybe i should okay. ask that yeah, first what do you think we can do can we do that can we take the 12 steps and find things that are relevant to all of us as believers oh i absolutely absolutely first of all uh, the 12 steps are relevant to the christian life in the sense that you're powerless to live it without jesus uh, walking with you on a day-by-day basis. Uh, that's step one. Uh, lots of Christians try to live the Christian life on their own power. <laughs> it's exhausting. <Yeah. laughs> and it makes you mad uh, in, the, in the process. So uh, it's one day at a time, baby. I, I learned a lot being in a 12-step group. I came out, I didn't realize it. My mom and dad never 
drank at all, but eight of my uncles died from alcohol-related accidents or illnesses. Mm. So my grandpa was the only one who didn't drink in the family, but he was a very angry man. And uh, Mm. so in that process, I actually began to learn that in grad school. So as, as I began to work through that, I began to see all kinds of alcoholic family tendencies in my own family. That no alcohol, but a lot of the tendencies, learned experiences, practices, behaviors that accompany alcoholic families. Wow. Um, is, it, is it safe to say that, that we're all addicted to something? Oh, yeah. I, I think that's very true. Yeah, you know, addictions uh, take on a life of their own. Most addictions, if not all of them, start as a way to compensate or assist in some other uh, kind of self-treatment or self-medication. So, but eventually, they take on a life of their own, and the person lose, loses the power to choose. Uh, they begin to practice it compulsively. And at that point, it mm. is an addiction. It might not be an addiction to everybody, right. but for them, it's a self-medicating addiction. Okay, All kinds so of let me get food, exercise, uh, TV, uh, buying on, you know, buying uh, shows. I mean, <laughs> anything that's mood altering can become mm-hmm. addictive. That uh, that mood altering. Uh, I have to admit that you're the first one I've heard uh, from, and it seems like it is central to all. Would you say it's a part of all? Oh, it is. That's why you do it. You don't do things compulsively unless they feel good. Nobody does. (laughs) And so so we're we're basically trying to make ourselves feel better or to medicate um, pain or who knows what. But then we become addicted to the thing that we are trying. That's right. To use. Now, there's two, there's two M words in addiction. You medicate or mitigate. Mitigate means you hmm. lower the presenting issues that's driving the compulsive behavior. Medicate means you actually calm, tranquilize, and treat the issue that's uh, bothering you. So... Every addiction has those two components to it. What was that second one? Uh, mitigate. Medicate and what was this? Mitigate. Mitigate. You lower okay. the um, pressure, the, the problems. The, it, it, they seem to disappear in the fog or the haze or whatever you're doing that's becoming compulsive to you. I in see. other words, we also use the words with people most often – Comfort and distraction. All addictions provide comfort and distraction. Medication mm-hmm. or mit- and mitigation. Addiction, you can be addicted to something uh, that, that maybe started out as something good. Oh, yeah, you, oh, yeah, right? yeah. That, yeah. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah, initially it was very effective in helping you. You know, a glass of wine to help you relax or a, a shot of whiskey on Friday after a happy hour, mm-hmm. you know, busy week. Um, uh, looking at porn occasionally. Um, 
you know, even sex in itself can become somewhat compulsive, and and there is a whole lot of uh, chemicals that God designed to make sex very appealing to people. So all the way from oxytocin to all the other feel-good components that uh, are released in orgasm. So it's, yeah, food, comfort food, buying, (laughs) running. I've seen people run to where they hurt themselves. So, yeah. yeah. And and would would you say that because uh, when when I hear you talking like this, I'm beginning to think that that perhaps – Addictions uh, are, are a, in a sense. Would you say they are kind of a sign of the times? Because we have gotten so, um, we have so much. Uh, what am I trying to say? It's to to uh, attract us out there. The, oh. the internet, the TV, every, every all the all the means that we have of distracting ourselves seems to have just multiplied in the last. 34 years. Oh, no question about it. There's something to that. Wow. So, so let me let me give you uh, some great research, John. Started back in the 70s, and you can Google this. Uh, your listeners can Google it. Misattribution of attraction. That's, that's the classification of research. Misattribution of attraction. So this researcher wanted to figure out exactly why people seem to uh, get involved uh, in affairs in high-stress environments and, and how attraction kind of worked. So he came up with this idea. He built two foot bridges. They were identical. They went up high and down uh, to the other side. And they had a visual barrier between them uh, so that you couldn't see uh, the other bridge. The one bridge was very well constructed, very tightly constructed. The other bridge... Uh, the bolts were loose. The guy wires were a little loose. It would sway back and forth and creak and tremble uh, and everything else, but it wouldn't fall down. He brings 20 college guys into his lab, and at the end of the sturdy bridge, he places an average-looking college co-ed. And uh, the guys walk across the sturdy bridge one at a time. When they get through the bridge, uh, they're given an evaluation to rate how attractive this woman is, this young woman is. He brings the same 20 guys back later and marches them one at a time across the shaky bridge. He uses the same college co-ed at the end of the bridge, gives them the same evaluation, and they're asked to rate her attractiveness. Statistically, significantly more attractive at the end of the shaky bridge than at the end of the sturdy bridge. Okay? So... What that says is, and that's been replicated. It's a famous experiment in American psychology. What that says is when you're going through high-stress periods of time, a person can look more appealing to you than they would normally uh, in your normal everyday experience if it wasn't for the stress. Mm. It's a misattribution of attraction. So you're right. Wow. We're in high-stress wow. culture, instantaneous gratification, mm-hmm. uh, a sense of entitlement. I need to be released from this. I have a right not to suffer. There's many options out there. <laughs> it, it's, a, it's a stew, a mix My. that's potent. Wow. Wow. How? 
so it sounds to me uh, like we, we are probably addicted to things that we don't know we are. Would you say that well, that's true too? Um, Possibly. Yes, I can. I can understand that. That makes sense to me. Uh, the reason we don't know or we're not fully aware of it is we haven't thought about stopping it. So it's when you start thinking about stopping this behavior that you say to yourself, I can't do that. I think I can. I, in fact, I'll tell myself, I don't really need this. But to actually do it, you can't, you won't. And you're really becoming quite compulsive about the exercise of it. Wow. You, know, you can see that's how come like 12-step groups can be very helpful in mental health. We use them a lot here at EV Free. So you take somebody who has OCD, for instance. A very simplistic statement about that is most of the OCD behaviors, many of the OCD behaviors, are anxiety reductions, meaning they lower anxiety. You wash your hands, you feel better. You close the door, check the locks, you feel better. You check the burners two or three times, you, make, you can walk out feeling comfortable. You hoard stuff in your home, and you can kind of feel, well, you can get to it later, so you relax. So it's anxiety reduction. Anything that reduces anxiety is going to be addictive or can be addictive. Wow. Uh, what, are the, um, what are the biblical connections, Dave, <laughs> to, to addictions? And uh, I bet there's got to be some, right? Oh, what yeah. the Bible have to say about this? Well, there there are many resources besides the few minutes we're going to spend on the phone here that talk about um, right. a biblical background to the 12 steps or verses that go along with each of the 12 steps. There's workbooks out there, and there's Celebrate Recovery that's just full of this uh, concept. Mm-hmm. It was original uh, to the uh, 12 steps. Uh, it was germane to them. That's how, how it happened. Uh, uh, they were written, in fact, was uh, out of the biblical mm-hmm. context. So um, I think, like I said earlier, you start with the sense of powerlessness. You know, you you work your way up to that to where you you have a fearless moral inventory. That's difficult for anybody to do. Yeah. Um, you, then you're making amends. And, and you know, you're working right straight up through all of the steps and you're returning it and at the end to benefit your other fellow travelers and uh, in community. I mean, it's, I wouldn't take one step out of it. It's a, a really um, thorough, deep, heartfelt Christian life is going to be practicing the 12 steps, whether they know them or not. Wow. You know, uh, have have you experienced, is there some way I've often wished that church could be more like uh, a 12-step group? You know, oh, yeah, 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 I agree, just, yeah. We're just, yeah. just we're much not, more honest about our struggles, yeah. and, and we're helping each other get through it. Yeah. And is yeah. there any way we can encourage that? How yeah, yeah. can we encourage that kind of... Yeah, activity in, in a uh, oh, Christian I think you're context. right, John. 
I think you're right. I think what needs to happen. Uh, basically, the church, uh, I love this distinction between AA and the church. The church mm-hmm. historically has focused on discipleship and what's the next word? Accountability. Well, accountability, mm-hmm. accountability groups are very parental. They're going to hold you accountable. I think they're worthless. I think what we need in the church is vulnerability groups where everybody has the safety and the security to be vulnerable. And no one is going to be a dad telling you what to do and what not to do. We've all had enough fathers. We've all had enough mothers who ran our lives. Okay, We don't need more in a group. And the other thing that happens in accountability groups is the person who's being held accountable is one step down from the leader of the group. Vulnerability yeah. groups are all equal. That's what I love about 12-step groups. You do rotational leadership. You know, I take it this week, you take it next week. Well, I don't know anything about this. Hey, you'll do fine. Take it next week. It's your baby, okay? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> uh, and we don't cross-talk. Wow. We don't fix people. You know, um, we, we're polite. We listen to them. We don't interrupt. We give them our full attention. Well, I love all that stuff. Wow. Wow. And, and can't we do that? Can't we get that into our church experience somehow? Well, um, no. You can't. <laughs> not not in big church. Not in big church. Okay? Yeah. Uh, because yeah. there are people who don't want that. They want to continue to come and hide in church. So if you did that, they would disappear. But within the church body... You can have a lot of small groups that practice those principles, mm-hmm. and their testimony. Okay. The people in those who participate in that, those people, they love it. They they just feel great. They're doing life together. But I want to tell you something, John. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- that kind of connection doesn't happen in ten weeks. I don't care what discipleship group you do. It doesn't happen in ten weeks. It happens in six months. It happens in going mm. deep. It happens in taking off the mask. You know, um, it happens in you sharing as the leader in the group initially, the facilitator in the group, you share your story first, how uh, you went to hell and back to recover. Mm. <laughs> wow. I've That's often, how that happens. I, I agree with you. Yeah. Now, I, You know, I've often thought that you can't go any farther than the guy at the top. Uh, oh, no question. Isn't that right? Is that oh, it's right? true. Sure, yeah. sure. I yeah, mean, if, if, so, so if the guy at the top is not being vulnerable, no one else is going to be vulnerable. That's right. Uh, yeah. yeah. Wow. But you got to remember, when you start opening up, whoever you are at the top, you you will lose some people, and you will trigger right. people in the group who've come out of bad experiences, and they will come after you, and you will be shot. <laughs> yeah. You'll yep. be busy. Yeah. You will be. You thought you're doing a good yeah. thing, but it turned out to be very bad for a lot of people. Uh, so. Well, I knew uh, I, I, I I was at a church in, in Michigan where a pastor uh left the ministry due to his uh, alcoholism and uh got himself spent ten years in business, came back as a counselor to counsel people with yeah. addictive uh, problems, and uh-huh. he says, ever since I got got here, my door is a swinging door, 
Yeah. I just hung out a shingle, and 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 I often thought, boy, you know, we he just where were all those people before he did that? Yeah, you know, they, oh, they're, they're here, they're around, <laughs> they're there. They just don't have yep. permission. We somehow we got to give people permission. Yeah. Well, when we first started back in the late '80s, running twelve-step groups, uh, by 1990, we we were in the chapel. We had every single room on the main campus in, uh, tied up in small group meetings. We would leave the door open at the chapel for the big meeting until seven o'clock. And when four hundred people entered, we had to lock the doors, and the fire marshal stood there. Hmm. So my, my, uh, my. you didn't make it. You you had to come back next week or something. Okay. So when you really have a program working for people, and the people who are are working the program, <laughs> amazing mm-hmm. things happen. Wow. Yep. Well, this is exciting. Uh, um, I just wish we could, you know, get more. I, uh, you know, I just wish we could get more of this into our our everyday experience as Christians. Um, I, 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 it frustrates me somehow, but uh, I don't know. I, I guess we have to keep keep doing what we're doing. Well, you John, doing what you're just doing. because you're doing what's really good doesn't mean people aren't interested in it. It just means they might be very afraid of it. So I, I had to come to grips with that. You know, I wasn't doing this for everybody. Uh, I was doing this for myself. And uh, when people begin to uh, join me, uh, it was it was amazing, just amazing. Uh, you know, you, uh, sure you wish it for everything, but remember, Jesus did too. But when the rich young ruler wouldn't do what he needed to do, Jesus let him go. He wasn't mad at him, or he didn't run after him and try to haul him back and say, you know what, maybe we can negotiate. <laughs> no way. Yeah. He just had to let him go. Yeah. And um, one of the best things I love is uh, learning to let go. You know, I'm German. You never let go. You're a bulldog, you know. So mm. uh, I had to learn to let go. And uh, I love some of the stuff about letting go. There's a lot of it out there on the internet that you can look at. Oh, that's great. Um, so what, what, one more question uh, on along these lines, what are the fears? What, what are the primary fears of, 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 a, of a, someone in a vulnerability group? Say, well, it would make first them of not all, want to come. There's what people think of me. That's the primary one, fear of people, you know, if I tell them this. Uh, Secondly, some people will get triggered in the group when they hear a certain thing. So you've got to be discreet and appropriate. Um, You you have to build a, a sensitivity to those that are listening. Third, the three rules of the alcoholic families don't talk about what you're experiencing don't trust people to respond in any kind of a good way for you. And don't allow yourself to feel because it will only hurt. 
Well, when you begin to open up and they don't talk, don't trust, don't feel, you do things differently, you will cry. You will grieve a lot of losses. You will work through a bunch of stuff. I went through a two-year depression uh, trying to figure this out. So uh, I understand. (laughs) It's not easy, but once you're on the other side, what doesn't kill you is going to make you grow. (laughs) Wow. So don't talk, don't trust, don't feel. Those are those are protective devices. Yeah. that yeah, that, that's, that that's what you're taught in the family of origin. Yeah, don't. Yeah, you you learn that from your family, oh, okay. your parents. Yeah, yeah, and and it was reinforced as you kind of went through life. Nobody's interested. Keep your mouth shut. Pretend like you're fine. Smile. Look mm-hmm. good. Perform well. <laughs> I'm good. Wow. At that. I'm German. <laughs> So, so, <laughs> so if we do the opposite of those things, um, we're going to be on the right track. <laughs> yeah, but sometimes those people that you want to be friends with will leave you. Sometimes they'll yeah, walk no, away. I can, mm-hmm. Yeah, they don't. It they don't want to go there. They don't want to be too, there. Yeah, it's probably too threatening to them. I would. Think. Yeah, it is. Um, it is. Yeah. But the wow. ones that matter, they'll sense the reality of what you're going through. Tell us real quick about your new book. Okay. Um, you're talking. You're talking a lot about it. What is What is the interest in? in and uh, is it? It seems like it's a It's a good time for it right now. Well, um, we never planned that a that. year ago when we started uh, working yeah. on it. But uh, the anatomy of an affair is all about addictions, attractions, and affairs, and how they develop and how to protect your marriage from them. And I deal with some of the dangerous personalities out in this culture today um, who come out of uh, life and family of origins with attachment disturbances that makes them desperate for attachment and uh, many times can get you involved with them uh, in inappropriate ways. I talk about a dangerous partner profile uh, comes out of your own deficits, the risk factors that research has identified, seasons of a marriage that are especially prone to some of this kind of behavior. I talk about five classes of infidelity and the treatment that's required for each. Uh, So all that kind of stuff. It sounds very boring, but it's fascinating, and especially in this culture where all the sexual harassment, sexual... uh, Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Destruction has taken place. Porn is on your phone, and people are compulsively using sex to feel better and then disillusioned with it. So we try opioids. <laughs> I mean, my gosh. Mm-hmm. It's it's getting crazy in the world. Yeah. Well, yeah. well that's great. Uh, that sounds like a really timely book. Uh, I'm sure we can find it on uh, Amazon, I would guess. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Anatomy of an Affair, Dave yep. Dave Carter, everybody, if you're interested in looking into this. But it sounds fascinating to me in a way, maybe a way you can understand a little bit more what's going on and, and, oh, and yeah. protect yourself. Yeah. Uh, it it's got a lot of me. exercises for couples yeah. to do. It's very positive. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. Well, Dave, thank you so much for uh, spending some time with us and this is just helping us 
in our own look into the 12 steps and what it's meaning to each one of us. I, I just appreciate this very much. And uh, thank you. Thank you. I enjoy it. Thanks, John. Appreciate Thanks. it. Take care. And we wish you well. And yeah. uh, I hope the book does. does thank you very much. Well, thank you. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, there you go, folks. That was cool. Boy, um, uh, we got a lot of stuff in in a half hour on that one. And um, I just appreciate uh, Dave Carter so much and what he shared with us. Uh, you want to probably go back and listen to this one again because there's stuff here about addictions that uh, it, it's going deeper than just the surface. And uh, I, I appreciate that very much. Mood altering. Wow. Um, yeah, I can I can see how this works and how we get we try to make ourselves feel better and then we get addicted to the thing that we were using to make ourselves feel better. Well, just go back to the Lord, you guys. We just need the Lord. Um we need to hold on to him with all of our heart. And um uh we're here to worship him. He's the one who uh, made us and knows how to make us happy. Um, that's so true. And and so just get close to the Lord. Spend time with him. Meditate. Um, when, you're, when you're tempted to make yourself feel better with something else, um, just start to focus on him. And, and uh, remind yourself, read his word, pray, uh, get close to him. He's the one who can truly make you happy without, without addictive behavior. And, uh, yeah, that's a good one. So, God bless. I hope uh, you'll keep tuning in to uh, Blog Talk Radio. We, these are fascinating discussions. And they're helping our whole our, our whole study here keep on with the series. Um, it's going to be good. It gets better and better. So uh, God bless. You.